92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Hi, this is Leland Sklar, and you are digging Pantheon Podcast. Yes! History in Five Songs with host Martin Popoff, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Absolutely. Martin Popoff back again here for another episode of History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are part of the vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right. This episode, uh, episode 97, um, we're going to be calling this No Longer Punk. Um, the reason I wanted to call it No Longer Punk is because I didn't want to call it post-punk. Uh, I didn't want to call it post-punk because uh, these bands were actually punk bands that uh, changed quite radically, uh, quite quickly, and uh, and became something else. And I'm going to give you kind of my memories of experiencing that at the time, uh, and what I thought and what I thought over time. Um, but post-punk refers to a very different thing. Post-punk is kind of where these bands arrived, but more so post-punk, the spirit of the term uh, is for bands that um, kind of formed formed uh, what they were going to do and, and literally formed in the wake of punk. So post-punk bands are bands kind of, uh, you know, that formed in 78, 79. Uh, there's a very unique and interesting sound to what they do or, you know, various sounds. I might even do a whole episode on it because it's a very cool uh, creative realm, the whole idea of post-punk. Um but some of these bands, you you could say, uh, uh, were now post-punk after they were punk. And that's why I wanted to call this episode No Longer Punk. Um, another interesting thing about this episode is that it's essentially the story of 1978. Some of these are um, begin in 78 and transition. Some of these begin in 77 and transition into 78. Uh, but, it's, but it's kind of interesting. I wanted to pick all bands that were doing um, this, uh, this rapid change around 1978. And I also uh, decided after looking at my list that I was going to do uh, all exclusively British bands. So these are bands with that true British London, uh, well, not all London, but um, that, that punk pedigree uh, from the UK. Um, well, actually, we got the Boomtown Rats in here, too. So uh, so there you go. There's a little Ireland for you. But otherwise, uh, I did leave out uh, one Canadian band I wanted to put in here and uh, and at least one American band that I thought of putting in here. And we'll mention those in the honorable mentions. Um, this is an episode I always had in the back of my mind to do, so I'm glad I got around to it. But it was also uh, I was also uh, prompted and prodded by uh, faithful listener Greg Canelo, um, who uh, who gave me uh, some some interesting dynamics uh, on this whole thing, uh, and he also did did some nice. Uh, uh, nice feedback to the Contrarians episode we did. Contrarians is our YouTube channel um, that uh, that I did on uh, on King Crimson, my favorite King Crimson album being uh, Beat, believe it or not. Um, 
but yeah, he uh, he commented on that and then brought this up, and I thought I got to get around to this episode, right? Um, one last thing I wanted to say about punk, um, you know, I I've been going on Pete Pardo's Sea of Tranquility show a lot, and I realized like he's he's famously um, not a big fan of punk, and we also did a recent episode about uh, what was it about. Um, anyways, uh, I brought up the point about you had to be there at the time. Yeah, yeah, it was about bands that we just don't get. And I, I brought up the comment that for some music, you had to be there at the time. And other people said, no, for all music, you had to be there at the time. But I think it, it really only applies to some. And punk is one of those funny things that because it's meant to be fairly rudimentary and angry and there were a lot of indie releases and stuff you really can't go back 40 plus years after the fact and play this stuff and be impressed with it if you weren't sort of immersed in it at the time um so yeah punk is a funny one a funny sort of you had to be there thing you know the other corollary i give to that one is the idea of how do the stooges reform and make new albums 50 years later you know you, you've painted yourself into a corner because of the the nastiness and the and the, the the chaos and the grittiness of that original sound and then what do you do that again because now it's just going to look like crap compared to everything else that's out there sort of thing so so how dumb can you play it calculated 50 years later that's kind of, that's a bit the point about punk as well um so it's so it's funny. This is this is almost like well, we're, one of the songs we're going to play is called Nostalgia. <laughs> um, so uh, so it kind of leans into this idea of you had to be there. So I don't know how many of you are interested in this stuff, but but I I love these episodes where we go a little bit off grid. So um, okay, so uh, episode ninety seven, no longer punk. Um, let's take a listen to our first selection, and we shall discuss. This is the Clash with Death or Glory. So this is uh, this is one of the most famous cases of a band radically, radically changing, um, and uh, and becoming you know one of the legendary bands of all time through doing that. So they had a debut that was so absolutely punk uh, in the Clash, seventy uh, seven, one of the earliest punk albums, or pretty early, right in there in that in that key year. Um, then they followed that up with Give Him Enough Rope in 78 and still quite a punky album and actually quite punky for 1978. But moved to December 14th, 1979, they put out a double album, London Calling. Not very punk, well, not punk at all. I mean, it's literally almost like a gritty version of a Americana Bruce Springsteen sound with a lot of different sounds. Some obviously some reggae on there as well. A lot of acoustic guitar. Beautiful, beautiful production across this album. Um it's considered one of the greatest albums of all time. Uh, and again, famously with Pete Pardo and Sea of Tranquility, you know, he, does, he doesn't quite get it. I, I believe Jamie Laszlo, I think, has talked about it as well. He's a buddy of ours. Uh, he's been on with Pete and he's been on uh, our show, The Contrarians, as well, at least on the Patreon exclusive stuff. And, uh, you know, both of them bring up this idea that it's uh, it's kind of like silly and lighthearted, which is funny because that's not, that's not anything that sort of came to mind. Um, before or at the time um, but when you play it there is a lot of kind of really upbeat 
lighthearted, almost comedic stuff on London Calling. And it's 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 weird hearing a perspective from a you you weren't there at the time thing. So it's it's interesting. But an amazing, amazing album. Um and so their transition is from 78 into 79. Uh, and then they they put out a similar album, if you could call a double to a triple and the, the variety of music across them, uh, a similar album in Sandinista. And then they changed radically, radically again for Combat Rock and fairly radically again for uh, for Cut the Crap. So this is a, this is a band that was changing uh, very, very fast all the time. What did I think of it at the time? Uh, believe it or not... Um, you know, being uncompromising metalheads as kids, uh, I loved London Calling immediately, and it was one of those gateway albums, um, along with a little bit of The Who and a little bit of Yes, um, one of those gateway albums to uh, opening my mind to uh, to not uh, just kind of literally almost mathematically looking for riffs all the time <laughs> and and only wanting a heavy stuff, which is why we love punk in the first uh, first uh, case, uh, me and my buddies. Uh, back in Trail BC, right? Uh, late 70s, so 14, 15 years old, right? 77, 78. Um, but uh, but loved this album and uh, not punk at all and uh, and not punk at all doubling down on it because it is a double album. All right. Um, next selection here on episode 97, No Longer Punk. Take a listen to this. This is the Boomtown Rats with Blind Date. <laughs> All right, so this is an interesting case. Uh, the debut album from the Boomtown Rats is actually a um, a fairly heavy rocking album with good production. Uh, September 1977, just called the Boomtown Rats, produced by guess who? Mutt Lang. Um, so this is Mutt in his in his early days. What else did he do at that time? City Boy. Um, but he produced the first Boomtown Rats album, which is a which is a fairly rocking riffy uh, album, and uh, and notable for being one of the not very raw punk albums. It's just well put together. Um, we loved it. We loved the Boomtown Rats on the debut. Uh, come come up to the album that this is from. This is from uh, A Tonic for the Troops, which came out June 1978. So you just heard Blind Date, which is also produced by Mutt Lang. But even Mutt Lang is growing with the Boomtown Rats in leaps and bounds. This is a great album full of all sorts of action points and, and events and ear candy, as you can hear on this song. It, but it horrified us at the time. We hated it at the time um, because it is quite poppy, way lighter. Um, it, just, it just doesn't have any bit of a, a, a heavy metal framework to it. It's frantic and quick and silly and maybe even a little Devo-ish. Um, but, uh, but it's also, uh, you see Bob Geldof, the great Bob Geldof, um, you know, bringing in uh, a little more of that uh, that Bruce Springsteen and Phil Phil Lynott influence, um, just just to his sort of worldview. Um, but uh, you know, and there's piano and things in there. But just a just a beautifully um, produced album, not over the top, beautifully produced, but a lot of variety on it. Uh, but we hated it at the time, and I love it now. And and I do want to mention though. Um, the follow-up to that, the third album, so moving into October 79, The Fine Art of Surfacing, 
masterpiece of an album one of my favorite albums of all time i just i play it regularly all the time love almost everything on it um so the boomtown rats is one of these where we weren't on board uh, initially actually by by fine art of surfacing i was coming back around and, and kind of liking them again uh, love bob geldof's voice and his lyrics and just the ideas and stuff but fine art of surfacing is a bona fide 10 out of 10 a masterpiece after that i'd say my favorite is probably tonic for the troops and then boom Boomtown Rats. So here we go uh, with the with the opening of the mind and going along on this on this trip where a punk band becomes post-punk. Uh, unfortunately, they made four more albums. They later made one uh, in 2020 called Citizens of Boomtown as a re as a kind of a reunion album. But at the time, they only made uh, three more albums after the first three. Mondo Bongo 81, uh, Five Deep 82, and In the Long Grass 84. I don't like any of those very much at all just kind of like um you know little tracks here and there uh or isolated tracks here and there i i love this one song called um in my room i think that's off of the first one of those uh anyways there those three uh there's a lot of sort of uh tribal and world music and funky things and and they go off in in some directions i'm, I'm not crazy about but fine art of surfacing is more in the realm of lush progressive pop i would say uh, so I would say check that one out, The Fine Art of Surfacing. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to me, you're kind of like a hard rocking fan, um, obviously. Um, so so also check out the debut. Check out the Boomtown Rats uh, album, September 77. All right. Um, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. All right. Back again here on History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. Um, we are calling this episode 97. We're calling this No Longer Punk. Uh, so these are bands that change quite radically from their punk roots. Uh, take a listen to our third selection here. This is The Damned with Problem Child. Now, you may have noticed um, that's still a pretty punky song, and I wanted to uh, put this album in here uh, mainly because it fits our theme of 1978, um, although it's a 77 album. So what happens here is their debut is February 18th, 77, one of the earliest punk albums of all time, and um, first UK punk album of all time. It's it's always had that uh, sort of thing going for it. First single of all time, first UK band. Um, punk band to tour the states um of course ramones uh gets first punk album of all time with the with the debut from 76 um but i wanted to put this in here because it fits our our so this is their album just leading into 1978 so it fits that narrative but also um there is quite a difference here in sound, even though um, I think it gets overstated and this album uh, gets a little bit maligned. So, okay, so the debut is called Damn, Damn, Damned. It's really heavy and fierce and aggressive and punky. Um, but for their second album, they basically tightened everything up and got really disciplined and got good production. And guess who produces it? It's Nick Mason from Pink Floyd. Um, they actually wanted Sid Barrett to produce it, um, but Sid was not any in any shape to do this. So they ended up with Pink Floyd and I mean, uh, Nick Mason. <laughs> so there's a bit of a comedic thing about that. They were sort of surprised in a way, but 
Anyways, um, he Nick Mason gets maligned, and this album gets maligned. Um, but I think it's a great album, and uh, and I think Nick Mason does a really good job on it. And um, it's still a pretty heavy punk album. So uh, yeah, it's got that Barney Bubbles artwork. So it's got a very artistic album cover. So the album cover is actually very post punk uh, against a very punk album cover for the debut. So that's kind of interesting. You you really see the difference there. Um, but I think this album is still pretty heavy, pretty rocking, and I really do like it a lot. Um, it's close to my favorite Damned album. My favorite Damned album is is Machine Gun Etiquette, which is the '79 album. Um, but I also wanted to include the Damned in here because they do do this in earnest. Um, but like like uh, the Damned being so cool and so original and break the rules that they are, uh, after this album, they make an even punkier album in Machine Gun Etiquette. But after that, they really start changing and, and including their, um, their psychedelic roots, their garage rock roots. Um, these guys are great, huge music fans. They know a lot of really obscure music. Uh, they, they start, uh, they have a gothic period as well. Um, well, it's all, all quite gothic. But, uh, but the Black Album, I remember when that first came out. Uh, so that's after Machine Gun Etiquette. Um, and, and a bit of a kind of a breakup and a reformation of the band. Uh, didn't like it at the time. It was too poppy and too varied uh, i love it now strawberry is kind of the same sort of album but then they went through that lush gothic period with uh with phantasmagoria and anything and and now they're now they're well actually no not now they they went pretty punk again for a, a lot of l the later years but the last album that they just did is actually quite quite mellow produced by uh T tony visconti quite behaved um so they've changed again but they are definitely one of these bands that um that you you would have called a post punk band um, through throughout essentially the eighties, uh, what they were doing in the eighties. Um, so there you go, the damned. Check that album out if if you are a hard rock and fan and and are amenable to heavy punk because it's it's heavier than the narrative would ha would have you believe. All right, um, let's move on to our fourth selection. Take a listen to this. This is the adverts with male assault. There seems to be a problem The good is still the bad is They put them in their places And we all know who won it We know who won it No one won Assault like the devil Assault like the devil Assault like the devil Assault like the devil Alright, so the advert story Bit of a funny one I remember hearing them for the first time. I, I I maybe got one of the indie singles or it was on the compilation. I believe they were on that French New Wave compilation. Uh, anyways, got the adverts. Uh, they had a bonafide punky album in their debut called Crossing the Red Sea with the adverts. It was an indie that came out in 78. But they only made one more record ever. And it is the notorious Cast of Thousands record from 1979 came out on RCA. This song you just heard, Male Assault, is from that. Um, but wow, what a, what an interesting, dynamic, strange record. Um, and they changed a lot. Again, they had a little bit of the piano and the Bruce Springsteen-ness. And maybe, honestly, a little bit of uh, The Clash's, uh, the, the same sort of evolution that The Clash had into what they were doing. So they became kind of... Um, 
this vibrant, soulful, maybe even a little Graham Parker to what they were doing, but it was still kind of loose. Um, and, you know, the singing wasn't particularly disciplined. Even the even the performances were kind of ragged, but it's just kind of got this joyous sound to it. What uh, and I. I I had a couple reviews here. Dave Thompson said, uh, flagrant departure from even the most extreme expectations. Cast of Thousands not only cast the band adrift from the new wave mainstream, but would also alienate all but the most adaptable of the band's following. There you go in a nutshell. Uh, retrospective review in the quietest. Um, noted that the album is not an easy listen, but praised the wild, free, and comparatively sophisticated version of the band and called the title track a thrilling, rolling, tumbling, swirling mess of adventure and hope. Wow. Um, Absolutely true. The title track's amazing. That's the first song on the album. This is produced by Tom Newman, who is Mike Oldfield's producer, and uh, and the guy made a lot of his own albums too. So you get a little bit of that. Uh, you get Nick Mason doing the Damned, and you get the Mike Oldfield producer doing uh, the adverts. Um, but uh, yeah, it was pilloried in the press. Absolutely, the press did not like this album, and uh, and they never made another album. That that was it. I mean, the adverts are one of these uh, two album punk bands. That's the other thing that happens with these um, bands that um, are no longer punk. Um, a lot of them did not last very long. They essentially broke up pretty pretty quickly. Although uh, our examples so far are uh, are not uh, living up to that. Some honorable mentions will, but no, the Clash went on. The Boomtown Rats did a lot. The Damned did a lot. I mean, they're they're still going. Um, but uh, but yeah, so this so this adverts album, um, it's essentially the same lineup as the de- debut. Uh, you've got Gay Advert on bass. She was always distinctive, you know, good looking gal, but a gal in a punk band. Uh, obviously, there were you know there was uh, X Ray Specs, and you had the slits and stuff like that. But this was this was uh, a gal in a in a uh, a male punk band. So it was girls and boys. Uh, so she was the bassist. Uh, you had TV Smith. Uh, he's the leader of the band on vocals and guitar, but Howard Pickup was there as well on guitar. Um, but yeah, just an incredible, incredible album. My experience with this album at the time, guess what? Never heard it. Uh, didn't hear this till decades later. Um, I don't know why. It was quite rare. Um, you know, it didn't come out in the States, I don't believe. Um, maybe, maybe I heard that it was not going to be very good and, and wasn't into it. I, I can't remember. But for some reason, um, it's, it's pretty cool when you find these records from the day that somehow missed your radar completely. Um, but no, had, had Crossing the Red Sea with the adverts on, on an import early. Um, quite liked it. it. It wasn't the greatest album of all time. It, it might be a little overrated in the annals of time. Um, it's definitely pretty raw and basic. Um, but it was quite a notorious band and a, and a notorious album. And it was always, you know, cent- central to the old punk collection. Uh, all right, let's move on to our fifth selection. Take a listen to this. This is the Buzzcocks with Nostalgia. I bet that you love me like I love you, but I should know the damage is don't pay. So I look up to the sky and I wonder what it'll be like in days gone by. As I sit waving the wave on nostalgia for an agent. Oh. I always used to dream of the past, but like I say, yesterday never comes. Sometimes there's a song in my brain and I feel that my heart knows the refrain. Nostalgia for an agent. 
All right, so the Buzzcocks are one of these bands that, um, so British band, uh, Northern band. Um, their debut was called Another Music in a Different Kitchen, March 1978. Bought that as a new release. It came in a uh, kind of a silver gray, uh, thick plastic bag, which was kind of cool. A little bit of the old In Through the Outdoor thing there, and XTC Black Sea, right? That came in a plastic bag. In Through the Outdoor came in a paper bag. Um, Actually, Star's Attention Shoppers came in a paper bag too, right? Um, anyways, so the debut was um, fairly riffy, fairly riffy, fairly heavy. Um, we loved it as kids, um, you know, 15 years old, like I say. Um, you know, the the singing of uh, of uh, Pete Shelley was a little high and yelpy, um, but still uh, cool, frantic, full of energy, some great riffs on that debut album. But um, they changed quite a bit. Um, for the Love Bites album, which I also bought as a new release, September 78th, so it's only six months later or so, uh, embossed cover. Um, but uh, I remember as a kid uh, being very disappointed. It is... Much poppier and much more melodic, even though it's still, you know, tight guitar, bass and drum sort of sound, uh, kind of artsy, um, which is, which is a lot, you know, a lot of what I just said is, is about post-punk. So Buzzcocks, you know, uh, quickly transition into a post-punk band. You can almost argue that they were to begin with, uh, starting in March of 78. Um, but also, uh, an interesting sort of asterisk to this whole thing is that, Howard Devoto, who was an influential early member of the band, uh, had gone on to uh, to uh, form the masterpiece of a band magazine. Amazing, amazing band. I've always called them the punk Pink Floyd. Um, and they made like Secondhand Daylight. Oh, what, what is the other one called? Real. Uh, so Secondhand Daylight's the second album. Uh, the correct use of soap or the alternative use of soap that uh, the third album has two different album covers and two slightly different titles. The last one was called Magic, Murder and Mayhem, I believe. And then they made albums later on, but love magazine, especially that second album. Um, and uh, and so it's almost like um, here you had an offshoot from the Buzzcocks becoming one of the quintessential uh, best central anchors of uh, early post-punk in, in magazine. Check those guys out. Very creepy, very cool, um, very creative, quite proggy. Um, just a really interesting band. Um, so Buzzcocks did this album, and then they did an album called A Different Kind of Tension in September 79, and that was it. They broke up. They didn't They didn't put out another record again until Trade Test uh, uh, Transmissions in 1993. Um, so they broke up, and then they reformed, and then they had a kind of a great run. I love Flat Pack Philosophy from them, uh, a later era album. I played that album to death in the last 10 years, or how, however long it's been out. Play it all the time in the car. Um, love the Buzzcocks. Met them a bunch of times. Got my stuff signed. Interviewed them. Seen them. Seen them live. Great, great band. Sadly, we lost Pete Shelley recently. Um, but uh, yeah, so so they were a band that definitely uh, fits this bill uh, in in turning uh, you know qu quite a bit poppier and more melodic immediately. Just to, as a side note, um, they also had an album called Singles Going Steady, which is was a bad foot forward for their first album in the states. It was a compilation of their non-album singles um, with the B sides, and it only had two tracks from uh, from the first two albums thus far. So it was a, a kind of a silly thing to put out in. In the states um because it, it had quite varied productions they had, it had the really early raw stuff on there um but not a good idea for first album and then um because yeah because the first two did not come out in the states like i say my, my first two were imports um 
But uh, what's it called? A different kind of tension did come out uh, in the States and it actually even charted. Uh, and that was their last album. So they only made the three studio albums. Um, but, you know, heavy in any way, I would say, uh, is the first one. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get out of control here. It's not a heavy metal album. It's not even a particularly heavy punk album. But it's it's a really well put together, interesting album. Pretty good production on it. Um, so, yeah, check out that one. Another Music in a Different Kitchen. That's pretty weird. This band made three albums and uh, two of them have the word different in the title. Um, okay. Let's move on. Honorable mentions. Um, so a lot, like I say, a lot of bands kind of fit this bill. The Diodes uh, from Canada, from Toronto, pretty darn heavy punk album in the in the debut from 1977. They were signed to CBS uh, Canada, uh, but then they put out two albums we just hated when they came out. Uh, released in '79, Action Reaction in '80. That's all they ever did. Um, there's some you know compilation stuff later, but um, the second two albums were pretty uh, new wave and mellow and poppy. Uh, but the first album is kind of a bit of a classic. I check it out. The Saints is another great example of this. Uh, their first album, Quintessential Punk, I'm Stranded. Their second album, one of my favorite punk albums of all time, Eternally Yours, 78. Uh, but by late 78, they put out an album called Prehistoric Sounds, which... I got that as an import and was horrified. It was like a completely different band from Eternally Yours. It had a horn section. It had a lot of acoustic guitar. And then they morphed into kind of like a really cool utilitarian bit of a bit of a Celtic acoustic kind of a cross between uh, R.E.M. and Waterboys um, to some extent. Um, uh, quite a neat band after a while. But I, I remember just just the bad taste from Prehistoric Sounds. It's like, wow. And it actually looked like a pretty heavy album. It's called Prehistoric Sounds. It, it had this dark, moody, green cover. Um, I thought it was going to be another Eternally Yours, which was, like I say, a masterpiece. Some great heavy stuff on there. Some cool riffing. Really, you know, it's ah, it's dense. It's great lyrics. Um Check that one out. The second Saints album is is a real true kind of underground masterpiece in punk. It's not that underground, but it's but it's a, it's one that I always champion as one of the great albums that people kind of don't talk about the mo uh, that much. Um, Ramones, you could say eh, a little bit Road to Ruin, a little bit End of the Century. Um, they're kind of mellowing out a little and adding some acoustic guitar, and you got Phil Spector in there. Sex Pistols was a straight implosion of a heavy band, but think of think of the post punk evolution in them to uh to pil which is a radical radical change in a very post-punk band i thought the uk sub started heavy and kind of petered out and went in into a lot of areas that weren't as heavy as their uh pretty rockin debut album in 79 um and then you've got the dead boys um you know the first album is is a raging heavy cool punk album really raw production from Jenny Raven um but then they put out the second album called We Have Come for Your Children uh produced by Felix Papillardi and it's uh it's a little bit um it's it's definitely poppier but it's kind of more well put together as well uh better recording and it has some heavy stuff on it so we weren't we weren't haters of it at the time so 77 for the debut 78 for the second one um you know, now over time, it's the one I like the most uh, because it is the most listenable and well put together. Um, but that's all they ever did, too. Um, you know, St Stiv was kind of a big pop guy, and he went on to do this album that looked super punk called Disconnected, the amount of punk title, um, but was very poppy. Um, so, um, you know, 
and then we lost Stiv eventually. But the Dead Boys, you know, was is a classic case of this implosion thing. Two great albums and then gone. Um, so there you go. Hope you like this episode. Um, like I say, you know, it's a little bit off the beaten path of our usual classic rock, hard rock, heavy metal, dad rock, whatever you want to call it. Um, but uh, a lot of good information there, I think. Um, you know, and and some recommendations of things to check out if uh, if you if the punk door is just a little a little bit open for you there. Um, if you like this show, want to support future episodes, um, please go to Kofi Rhymes with No Fee dot uh, com slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button. Buy me a coffee or a pint. Uh, on that front, this week I do want to thank Black Sugar Transmission, Bruce Campbell. Derek Chervenak, very uh, very generous uh, of you, Derek. Thank you very much. Simon Cole, Chris Cook Guitar, David Fisher, Jeremy French, Rick Fusco, Kevin Latham, uh, Jason Leonard, Melissa Nee, Augustin Garcia de Paredes, Scott Ray, and Andrew Smith. Thank you all very much. Um, you can go to martinpopoff.com for all your book needs. Uh, we've got the sweet book, the Flaming Telepaths book with the print uh, thing that is working pretty cool uh, from that. Um, selling a few prints to people, signing them in gold pen. They're numbered 1 to 72. Uh, so these are the illustrations I did in that book. Um, the Rush uh, Driven book uh, continues to sell, and that brings up the Anthem and the Limelight. Sometimes I'm sending out all three. So that's all at martinpopoff.com. There's PayPal buttons and all that there. Um, we've got our YouTube channel, of course, The Contrarians as well. I'm on Pete's show all the time, Sea of Tranquility. Love uh, love chatting with Pete. Um, uh, there you go. Uh, there's, uh, there's all the stuff we're kind of into lately. Uh, go play some of this punk, or this uh, used to be punk. Thanks very much. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at R&R Archaeology. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial.